I think I want to make the art that people want to see. They just don't know they want to see it yet. I want to I want to make work about culture in a way that isn't Loteria cards. Hello, print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. Each week, I chat with artists who use print-based media to do something beyond the expected. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Gilzambrano. Together, we speak to printmakers around the globe about their practice and passions in the world of printmaking. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products who've been offering a diverse range of high-quality products to your creative practice since 1997. And if you're looking to add some pizzazz to your practice, check out their new line of additive glitter. Add a sprinkle of their additive glitter to any speedball fabric screen printing ink to bring a touch of shimmer to your next design. This additive glitter can be used in nearly any ratio, whether your sparkling vision is more subtle or dripping with scintillating shine. Check out the link in the show notes. My guest this week is Ben Munoz. Ben is an artist living and working in Dallas, Texas, where he started the city's first and only community print shop called Familia, which opened in 2020. This is Ben's triumphant return to the Hello Print Friend podcast, as I spoke to him almost three years ago to the day for episode 19. In this episode, we talk about the ins and outs and nitty gritties of working with galleries, what it's like to be a full-time working artist making very professional work while going through difficult times, his role as president of the board of Print Austin, and Ben and I have been working on something pretty big together for a few months now, and at the end of the episode, we'll announce what that is. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to hear what he really thinks of my podcast voice with Ben Munoz. Hi, Ben. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? I'm good. I'm really good. I'm really excited to have you back on. I feel like you are a print friend who I met for the first time in the first recording, which I don't know if you know this, but it would be published exactly three years ago. Oh my pretty God. much from when this one will come out. And that's crazy. I feel like our print friendship has blossomed. We've got to work on cool stuff together and it's just been really delightful. And so I'm I'm looking forward to having a chance to catching up officially on record for yes. what's been going on and talk about some exciting things coming up. Let's do it. All right. Well, Ben, for those of us who do not know you, who are you? Where are you? And what is it that you do? <laughs> I hate your podcast voice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're, you have a great podcast voice. You have a. You're, <laughs> it's just so smooth. It sounds like you're hosting like a jazz radio show or something. <laughs> I mean, I have heard people say that they go to sleep to it. So yes, I remember. I was there when Kathy told you that. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> I am Ben, a human of Earth. I make prints, paintings, drawings, stuff like that. I'm in Dallas, Texas. And yeah, just kind of back and forth everywhere doing, trying to, I don't know, do this thing that we're all trying to do. So we had a chance to do a deep dive into your origin story three years ago, which I assume probably not much to update to that unless you've had some large backstory family relations um, yeah everyone's a monster meantime. i found yeah. out <laughs> <laughs> so if anyone really wants you know all of that narrative kind of kind of coming up to coming to printmaking they can look there but just to lay the groundwork a little bit maybe you can tell us sort of how you found your way to printmaking and what your printmaking journey looks like well i found printmaking through being somewhat tricked into the class which is a pretty common thing i found out because they aggressively recruit people people because print classes, for some reason, they're hard to make sometimes. So my advisor, I had a, an elective and she was like, you should take printmaking. I think it's you. It's real you. And I had, I didn't even really know her. So that should have been like a red flag. Like, you don't even know me. But I was like, <laughs> okay, whatever. She said, it's me. So I signed up. And after I was in the class, I found out that 
the printmaking instructor and my advisor were like really good friends and she uh-huh. knew that he needed like one more person for that class to make. So she like shoved me in the class. But I'm glad she did because I ended up really loving it. But no, I, I was a painter and I felt like I was a fairly good painter. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. In fact, I would win like awards and like money from the school and stuff for my paintings. So I was like, this is for sure what I'm going to do is I'm going to paint. And then that didn't end up working out. It, it's not that it didn't end up working out. It's just that once I got into like the actual like field, like into the actual like art world, my prints were more sellable for whatever reason than mm-hmm. my paintings were. So mm-hmm. what ended up happening was that I was almost forced into printmaking by what galleries are willing to show. So mm-hmm. the decision was kind of made for me. And then eventually I just kind of got over painting. I think that that switched, you know, like I think I thought I was a better painter at one point. And then the more I started doing prints and prints and prints, I was like, oh, you know what? I'm pretty good at this. And my paintings kind of suck. You know, like after <laughs> you kind of look back and you're like, I'm not really good at this anymore. Every once in a while, I'll, I'll paint something. And I'm like, this is fun. But mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know the last time we talked, you had just finished, I believe, installing the blocks from The Endless Endeavor. Oh, my. A long time ago. Yeah, I know. And that was, you know, that was, I think, a really cool moment where you had this this opportunity to install them. What was the building that they were installing? The Art Center of Corpus Christi. The Art Center of Corpus Christi. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would imagine that, you know, as an artist who thinks about their career and sort of thinks about their trajectory, I mean, that's definitely going to be kind of a highlight, something that feels really good. It gets a lot of a lot of publicity. And so from there, what were you looking to do? Were you looking to leverage that at all or, or, or oh, yeah. take on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. What does that look like for you? The blocks were huge and, and the project got publicity. So I was going around while it was still fresh, like while it was still in people's mind and like going to different galleries and going to different stuff and trying to introduce myself while my name was still familiar and mm-hmm. you know doing all of that, which I think everybody, I mean, most artists that are trying to get out there and and do that. Whatever project you do, whatever show you do, whatever article comes out about you, whatever, you have like a window of time mm-hmm. before nobody cares about it anymore because that's just yeah. how human beings are. Yeah, so, it's how the media works. Yeah. So I think for sure that 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 helped me. I posted a video of it yesterday. I saw that. Us, yeah. Yeah. And it was so it was a really beautiful video. Like I saw it and I was like, look at me just making art. <laughs> like I didn't care if if it was sellable. Like the scale, who's going to buy that? Like I was just making it to make it. I was there with my friends. I wasn't in a rush. I didn't have a deadline. I had no gallery representation at that time. Mm. I was worried about nothing. I was literally just making art because I liked it. And that was really, that was really cool. That was really beautiful to look at, to just see. Oh, wow. Look, look at me go. Look at me just make art. Yeah. So from what you've said, I can gather that some of those factors have changed in the last three years. So now you do have gallery representation and you are, you know, living maybe kind of the next step or a different sort of artistic lifestyle where now it's like you're going to have an exhibition. You are going to have a, a gallerist calling you and saying, hey, what about this work? Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is part of the process that an artist goes through to get to the point where they do make a living off their art. So maybe tell us a little bit about that sort of transition and and what your practice is looking like in the new framework of of showing work and and being involved in that side of art making i think it feels more like a job now than it did Mm -hmm. back then and not in like not in a fun sense not like i made it a job like i mean it feels like work it's good work and it's great work and i'm grateful and like blessed to be able to do it but let's okay so after we talked right let's that's three years ago Mm -hmm. i've done three solo shows a year for the last three years and I have three more I have three more contracts I'm obligated to do three more solo shows next year too yeah and after that I have one show scheduled for 2024 and I could I could leave that alone and not not have to worry about that anymore but you have I don't know you have these deadlines and then you have there's there's these brief moments where you're like I don't I don't want to do this anymore (laughs) like I don't have to do it like I could do like something else but that's like really brief. I think the majority of the time you're like, oh my gosh, this is great. And it's also relative. Mm-hmm. I'm producing work for shows that like a like the stakes aren't very high, if that makes sense. Uh, I have a friend 
Avita, and she's got representation with this big blue chip gallery out in California. She used to have a studio right next to me. And then this giant gallery picked her up. And the next year, she's going to make a million dollars, like literally a million dollars. I don't know how many dollars that is. I can't conceive of that many dollars. (laughs) This year, she made like 500,000. And so like doing like just basic math of like the shows that she has, how many pieces are going in the show and like what she's going to make from her 50%. She's like, I'll make a million dollars next year. And it took me like, yeah, over. I mean, she's going to exceed it. But we ran it. I mean, I don't know if you saw her when we were in when we ran into each other at Miami Art Week. She was showing at Nada and Untitled. You you probably saw her work. She sold out of everything she brought at Nada in the first like hour of the show. Yeah, like when it first opened and then it Untitled too and stuff. So th- those are, I feel like that that's much more like high stakes creating where you're making things that you have to. Everybody's, I think, depending on you to pay bills now. Like the gallery's depending on you. You're depending on you. The, the work needs to be at a certain quality. You need this many horizontal pieces, this many vertical pieces, things like that. And for me, I'm kind of just in here like making whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, we're going to put this up and we're going to see if it sells. Because yeah. I, I I'll have shows where like, you know, they don't sell out. Like I have, I'm taking stuff home, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, most like, artists do. I, I think that with this journey to be someone who can make your living as an artist, be that person who is selling work and living on it and trying to do that in an expensive country. It's expensive Mm -hmm. to live in the States. More so now than ever. Just gasoline, inflation, health insurance, all of it. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty tall order. And also being an artist who is working at the level of just selling out instantly in a blue chip space, that's often not sustainable either. No, 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 not at Mm -hmm. all. Okay, so for her, she's older. She's like in her 60s. So -hmm. she's got it. She's done. That's fine. That's great. When that happens to someone who's in their 20s, it's a very dangerous thing because you can only sell at that level. It's like what we just talked about, right? You have that window of time and your work is hot for a specific amount of time. And then you really have to, you have to do something kind of extraordinary every like 10 years or your, or your little flame, like you're hot, it's going to go away. And then your gallery's probably got you locked into like a three year, five year contract. And then when you're not hot, if you're not hot, like the moment your shows start selling less than they did before, they're going to bench you and they're going to shelf you. And you're not going to be able to show anywhere because you're locked into that five year contract. And then you're going to like, that flame that was getting smaller, they will put out by shelving you for <laughs> two years. And then when your contract is up, you're going to have to go try to find another gallery because they're not going to resign you. And you, you're going to have to find a gallery after not working for like two years and not showing anywhere. And it's essentially like, I mean, it's not fully like starting over because you do have that leg up and you probably have the articles and the art critics and stuff like that. I think it's important to talk honestly and transparently about the realities of trying to take this on this living Mm -hmm. as an artist because a lot of people I think particularly in the print world because it does have such a marriage with the academic world a lot of printmakers teach and make Mm -hmm. and there's certainly absolutely no shade whatsoever for for choosing that course and trying Mm -hmm. to find that balance and I really admire people who take that on but if if even doing the the ambition of getting to the point where you don't want to do anything but your art Mm-hmm. I think people do need to have really honest conversations about what does that look like and what are the risks of it and what are the drawbacks and, and how do you actually do it? Because there's a bit of a, a, a rhetoric, I think, sometimes that's like, well, you just need to believe in yourself. Yeah. <laughs> or something. And it's like, it's like, yeah, I mean, you do need to believe in yourself, but also you need to understand that there are risks to getting in a five-year contract or what can you honestly produce and that sort of thing. So mm-hmm. it's... I think one of the reasons I really enjoy speaking with you and one of the reasons I actually was really keen to have you back on is because you are an artist, I think, who thinks really realistically about your path and about the work that you do. And it's something that is some of the most valuable conversations that we can have amongst ourselves as people in the art world as how do we actually do this? Mm-hmm. Because that's not a conversation that people have publicly, I think, very often. I think there's this romanticized idea of what being like an artist with a full-time studio practice would look like. Mm. And I think that not enough people go to the armory and go to, you know, not a untitled, you know, they they don't go to these things 
and, and meet the artists who are doing it and ask them, what is your life like? Mm-hmm. Because you might realize that that's not the road for you. It's, I, I always describe it to people that are like, I want to go like, oh, what, I want to make art like full time. I always explain like, do you remember when you were getting your MFA and you had that week to put your thesis show together and you were like getting ready? It's that, that moment stretched out for eternity. <laughs> it's you, it's you having to like constantly get shows ready and constantly like just get everything prepared. It's like living under that gun forever of just mm. like I need 12 pieces for this thing. They need to be presentable. A lot of the stress does go away. So maybe it's not that bad because you have like good galleries that they'll pray to frame your work. They'll do all the publication of everything. They'll invite the art critics out. They do all of that stuff. But there's still like the making of your work and, mm-hmm. and things like that. It's yeah, kind of yeah, wild. And, and I would imagine too, as it becomes a profession that you become more skilled at being yourself and finding your voice and producing something that you're proud of, that maybe those talents actually refine as well alongside with the technical talents. Have you found Mm -hmm. that to be the case? I think so. Yeah. You get better at it, at managing your time, at managing pressure, at managing everything and everything. Yeah. And so when you have these deadlines and as you say, you are sort of under the gun, how do you balance those pressures, those deadlines with making something that's quality, because clearly you don't want to put something into the world that is going to reflect badly on you, that you're not proud of, that doesn't feel sort of true to what you're trying to do. What does that feel like? I don't ever put myself in that situation. So like I've Mm. pushed shows out and I've like canceled publications, fully pivoted ideas uh, but I'm I'm grateful and I'm 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 blessed enough to work with certain galleries and and publishers and stuff where I can like pick up the phone and just be like, hey man, this ain't it. Like mm-hmm. I know that it's not going to be it's not going to be ready next month. Yeah. There's no way. But I, I I did that because since since we've spoken right last time, I had a show that was the worst show I've ever had in my life. It was no. awful, and I was showing it. Okay, so I was showing it this gallery. And then this dude came in who's a friend who will remain nameless, and he uh, he just got a position as a curator. Dude has eight galleries to fill, eight gal- eight rooms in this place that was a museum and then was acquired, right? And he's like, oh, man, like this is really beautiful work. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, cool, cool. And he was like, dude, I'm kind of in a bind. I got, I got hired on, and a lot of shows fell through. The guy did a really bad job when he left, and it was a mess. And would you, would you want a show? And I'm like – 25 you know something at the time and i'm like, yeah let's do it i just want to show the work and i'm not thinking right the the gallery is in the same city so i can't show any of the work i just showed so i have almost nothing to show but i'm like well we'll just slap something together and it'll be fine and then he was like uh he was like what if you did some sculptural work and i was like yeah let's do it i don't make sculptures but i was like sure <laughs> And then I just, I, oh my God. And it was just the worst show I've ever seen. And I was just praying that no one important saw it. I was mm-hmm. like, please, nobody see this. But the opening, not a lot of people came out to because there was tornadoes. And so people didn't come. So I was like, oh my God, thank you. And it was just, it was an awful show. And I went by, this is like the, the full circle moment where I was like, I'm never doing this again. I was walking by and I was like, let me go look at that show again. Cause maybe it's not as bad as I think. And I went yeah. into the gallery and I stood and I looked and I was like, this is the worst show I've ever seen. And, and as I'm standing in the gallery, this dude comes in and he's looking at it. And then he looks at me, not knowing who I am. And he goes, what do you think of this show? And I was just like, I was like, oh, it's my show. And he was like, oh, was like, yeah. And then he was just like, what do you think of it? And I was like, and I just destroyed my own show to this guy. I was like, man, that work, I, I, there was parts of the gallery that were empty, legitimately empty. And I was like, oh, I'll mess with the lighting. To, and it was just, oh, God, it was awful. I have nightmares where I wake up in that gallery. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I think what an incredible story you gave to the guy who just was going into a show and met the artist who just destroyed his own work. Like, I would yeah. tell that story. I'd, I would bring that story out. Any cocktail party, I needed an anecdote. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you're, you could say it was some sort of relational aesthetics where the actual art was you standing in the gallery uh, destroying I your own work. <laughs> even just talking about it, I literally want to vomit. Like I, my stomach like turns just thinking about, uh, you know, it's crazy. 
But you know what's funny is just doing, again, talking about doing this like full-time like art thing is you have so many ups and you have so many downs. And I was talking to your husband, Tim, about this when we were at BlackRock the other day talking about how he feels never feels confident about the things that he makes. Mm. And I was telling him like, oh, like, you know, I, I don't really either. It goes up and down thinking about like how I have moments of like height and low. And that show is definitely like a low moment for me. But I think last year or this year, I had some work. I did an artist eye series at the Kimball Art Museum and they installed one of my pieces next to the only Michelangelo painting in North America. And it's like, so it's like right next. So, you know, just like this, sort of like down and up and I and I look at it and I'm just like what a ridiculous life like what an absolutely <laughs> ridiculous life and I took wow. so many photos and of course so many people uh, that's yeah, it's, amazing it's it's a yeah and you know it's like the ups and downs of like everything and when something yeah it's amazing something like that is really yeah. it's like okay this is fun this is a good life yeah yeah, and and I think that those are the moments that keep us going when we have had the down moments and we have had the financial panics and we have had the uncertainty and all of those things that can be categorized in the down. There are moments that are kind of transcendent, like seeing your work next to Michelangelo. Like that's yeah. like being hung side by side and and I think for for those of us in the arts it can be these moments of feeling connected with people. It can be moments of realizing what art has offered us. I often think about Medhi Darvishi, who I talked to really early on in the podcast, who's an Iranian artist. And he, he spoke about how, as an artist, he gets these visas to go to places that, that some of the richest men in Iran couldn't get to. Wow. You know, because it's it's very difficult to get a visa as an Iranian person. But mm-hmm. as an artist, you know, he, he, he can travel, he can go to China, he can go to Australia. And, and so... We do really, it's hard. Like we started out mm-hmm. talking about, like it's, it can be a really hard life, but what we get as a reward from it really are, I think, often things that are, are kind of beyond beyond money and beyond anything else. There, there's sort of like these real life moments that I've like, I can think of that I've had that I've just been like, this is, this is something that I wouldn't have dreamed I would have been able to do with my life. Yeah, and here no. I am doing it. And th- yeah. those are the things, those are the highs that really, that, keep us going yes that's that's absolutely it this is Mm. i'll I'll, i remember i was there was i was printing something at at flatbed in like 2020 or something like that pre-pandemic 2020 and uh, you know we we'd like just just killed ourselves all week because i'm only there for Mm -hmm. a week to like carve a second layer and just get the bats and once the bats are done i'm out of there they finish the edition i'll come back and sign but i mean we were sweating it and it was the last day and we hadn't got a BAT yet. And I was just like, Oh mm. my gosh. And you know, just this insane whole thing. And, and we pulled it off and it's perfect. And we pin it up. And then me and the old master printer there, Alex, we just sat there staring at the prints just in a quiet yeah. room, just sitting there staring at these two BATs. And we just kind of looked at each other and I was like, we have the best life. Like yeah. this is, this is the best life. And I know that we were all just really stressed and it was really crazy, but like, this is the best life. This is the greatest thing. Like forget, and it's the best life because of this moment, not because of like the amount of money we make or because we don't have to go to the things we don't have to do. It's just, it's the best life because of this right here, just this, Mm -hmm. this moment. And yeah, I don't know if there's a particular way to, to feel about this that's right or wrong, whether it's like, you know, I think, I think every feeling is valid. I think it's okay to feel stressed and depressed if like, you're like, I'm not making as much money as I need to. Like, that's a fine mm-hmm. and normal response. And then also if you're like feeling extremely joyful and you're like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Despite what, what opportunities you have or what financial situations you're in, I don't think that you should feel bad about feeling good and think like, oh, that's delusional. Like I should be, I should, I should have a 401k or something. I, I don't think that there's a right or wrong way to feel. I think to just feel it in general and experience as it comes. I think that's that's the thing. And situationally, too, about all the things that you create and whatnot. I don't know if there. I thought about I, I dissected that that weird Michelangelo situation. And there's no right way to feel about that. I don't think. Yeah, you know? because you can they can hang that right there and you can look at that and you can you can really only feel one of two ways. Both are unhealthy. The first is that you, can be, <laughs> you can be overwhelmed by imposter syndrome and you can be like, oh, my God, like I should not have this piece right here. And the only other way that you could feel if it's not that is you looking at it and going about time, 
Yeah. <laughs> I am a god. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I deserve this. Yeah. Neither one I'm going to be movie. the fifth Ninja Turtle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. 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 And, but none yeah. of it really matters, I guess, you know, like it doesn't, I don't, yeah, none of it really I, matters. I, We're going to be dead one day, you know? But for real, though, you know, for real, I do think about it that way. And I think about it in terms of we have an incredible capacity as people to assume wherever we're not is better. You know, I mean, it's it's through, like I've, I've talked to people, many, many people in my life, as most people have. I've had a lot of I've had a conversation yeah. or two. And if you're a famous hand surgeon with 13 houses on five continents and Mm -hmm. you've been able to provide for your whole family and children and grandchildren you have regrets then too like i meet those kinds of people through my work and galleries and the older i get the more i kind of have to just sort of trust myself and the decisions that i made that led me to where i am Is that almost to look back and say, well, clearly I've been getting something out of this because Mm -hmm. I haven't changed what I'm doing, you know, and like and I am a reasonable adult with agency. And if this wasn't rewarding me, if this wasn't the path I wanted to be on, I think I would have strayed from it by now. I would have done something else. I would have gone back to school for accounting or biology or something and and done something different. But it's. You just sort of have to, I think, trust yourself that you have been making decisions in your own best interest because you know yourself and this is where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I want to make sure that we get a chance to talk about the content of your work as well. And if that's evolved in the last three years very much, if you found since doing this really personal narrative, family narrative and the endless endeavor Mm-hmm. If you've found yourself drawn to doing other work or is that still something that you're interested in? I would say that most of it is still very personal. The bulk of it is personal work. And I think that by telling the stories of myself, I think they're the stories of a lot of people and they're easily relatable. So mm. although my work is extremely personal to me and the narrative is personal to me, it's not unique to me. So yeah, I think if somebody asked what I made work about, I'd probably just say like, the American experience from my eyes or something Mm. because it's so Mm -hmm. easily relatable. Uh, Yeah. I think I want to make the art that people want to see. They just don't know they want to see it yet. I want to, I want to make work about culture in a way that isn't Lotharia cards, you know, like I want to make, I want to make work about like our stories and our ideas and the the way we think and our realities just pushed together and, and told in a way that you get it immediately. You look at it and you're like, oh yeah, yeah, that that's familiar to me. Uh, yeah, it's crazy because our lives are, are so, uh, they're so like, I don't know, personal to us because they're like our lives. But when you think about it, it's it's not it's not anything that's really unique. My wife and I had a stillborn baby and mm. I made a case about it. Lots of people have stillborn babies, you know? That's mm. a insanely personal thing to me, but it's not really a unique thing. So my, my mom, my mom passing away from COVID, mm-hmm. a lot of people lost people to COVID, you know, a lot of moms. And I haven't quite got around to making a piece about that just because I don't know how I would even go about doing that. But when I do decide to do that, or if I even decide to do that, it's just amazing that something so incredibly traumatic that that, that so many people have lived through that. Yeah. Like how, how, I've, how has this happened to so many people and they've just like picked up and moved on with their lives? That's... That's, I think, what's really fascinating to me and something that I'd probably like to explore more in my work in the future. But Mm. (laughs) yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, because when we pass through moments in our life, phases in our life, events in our life that are dramatic to the point of being life changing, Mm -hmm. you know, where you you realize you've gone through something and you look back and you say, I am wearing the same skin suit, but I am (laughs) not the same person that I was before this happened, Mm -hmm. that can be kind of terrifying because you don't know what this new person is. You don't know how this person interacts with this world. Yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, looking to other people is Mm -hmm. the only thing you can do. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just Mm going to say, that's another reason that I think that making art full-time 
having a studio practice full time isn't for everybody because mm. you have to feel that all of that craziness and you still have to come in here and work. Yeah. Well, your family is not going to eat mm-hmm. and I got kids, so I have to make work and I have to sell it no matter what I feel like. And so it's not the same as, you know, being able to go into work and do this like monotonous task and like get a paycheck at the end of the week. Like I still have to come in here. And for me, I make work about very personal things. So you have to maybe this block that I started about my family before my mom died, I got to finish that whether I feel mm-hmm. like it or not, because I'm going to need the money. And that's a lot of stuff I think that people don't think about is no matter what's going on in your personal life, you got to come in here and crank this out. And there are good galleries out there that maybe might be sympathetic, but there's also a lot that, you know, maybe don't care too much. I've told you this before that I like working with Frank a lot in his gallery in Santa Fe. And I work with a lot of different art organizations and people and galleries and publishers and have good relationships with people, I think. And I remember when my mom passed away, Frank was the only person who called to like, out of everybody, like in my professional relationships, Frank was the only person that we didn't talk about art. We didn't talk about like the show I had coming up. He was just like, Hey man, I just wanted to call and make sure you're okay. And I think that this whole art journey is easier if you work with galleries like that. And if you work with people like that, that genuinely care about you and uh, just are willing to be human beings with you. Mm. Um, I think that's really significant because I think as we've alluded to, there can be a cutthroatiness to the mm -hmm. gallery world. And Mm -hmm. not every person who makes a living off their art does it through commercial galleries. There are other ways Mm -hmm. of doing it, but a lot of artists do. And making a gallery sustainable is quite difficult. And so the people who, some of the people who end up doing it do it because they are more cutthroat, because they are more willing to be the one who will just cut the artist who had one off show because Mm -hmm. there's going to be someone else in line just Mm -hmm. wanting to show. And something that's interesting is a, a, a bit tangential, but that imbalance of supply and demand between those working those making art and those spaces that show art. I love, I love working with galleries because I don't like working with people. So Hmm. like what you do is so vital that you can be that buffer between the person buying the work and the artist. And yeah, I think that a good gallery does so much that they more than earn their 50%. Hmm. If it's a good gallery. Yeah. If it's a good gallery. Yeah. yeah, They're going to frame your work. They're going to, pay an art handler. They're going to host the reception. They're going to pay rent on this beautiful space. They're going to have an opening. They're going to supply all the food, all the alcohol, everything like that. Someone's going to buy the work. They're going to negotiate the price with them. Afterwards, they're going to package it up. They're going to mail it to wherever that person lives. That's coming out of their 50%. They're going to do all the publicity. They're going to invite all the art critics. They're going to do all the press. Now you could possibly get hooked up with a gallery that does none of that and tries to take 50%, which that's a bad gallery. But I think that if a gallery does all of that and has all the connections that you need, you know, that you can call your gallery and be like, I just made this series and I think it's really good and we should sell Mm -hmm. it to the MoMA. And they're like, oh yeah, I know them. Let's pick up the phone and call, you know, like that's, (laughs) that's somebody that, that, oh, that, that has earned their like 50%. Yeah. I think that I don't, I used to want to try to sell things on my own where I was like, I'm going to do this by myself. And then I saw everything that they do. And I was like, I don't want to do that. There's no Mm -hmm. way I want to, there's absolutely no way. (laughs) And not to continue to be a gallery apologist, but there also is, if it is an established gallery, they could have a 30-year-old mailing list of collectors that they have cultivated for three decades of people Mm -hmm. who trust them and buy art from them. And that's the kind of thing that I know artists who, who, who have the gumption and the moxie to sell for themselves and are doing well, but when you start putting your work up on Instagram, you're starting at zero. Mm-hmm. And sometimes partnering with a gallery, you're starting at year 30. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, absolutely. In that way, too. So there, there, it it really, truly is an apples and oranges. You know, I, I think that it depends on how you envision what you want your practice to look like and your life to look like. Definitely. I think different things are important to different people, too. Like, what, what kind of artist do you want to be? Like, what do you want to do? Like, do mm-hmm. you – what's important for your, like, goals and stuff? Do you want to just chill and be left alone? Because there's mm-hmm. a lot of ways to do that. Do you want to, like – be on the cover of art forum? Do you want to like, like, what what is it? What is it that you want? Because there's a lot of ways to like make money doing this. I I grew up in a small town and I had this like really weird idea and you'll know this better than anybody. I I had this weird idea 
that, you know, somebody who was a full-time artist was a very rare person because the only people I'd heard of was like huge people like the Damien Hirst of the world. And there are just truckloads of artists making a living full-time everywhere in every major city across America. It's not at all uncommon. People that make, they're not millionaires, but they're making like, you know, 150, 200, $300,000 a year. And it's not rare. There's a lot of them everywhere. And I think had I have grown up in an environment that was more aware of that, I wouldn't have been so hesitant to jump into this Mm. at the beginning. I wouldn't have thought like, this is a pipe dream. I would have been like, oh, no, this is very possible. And people do it every year. Like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Yeah. the, The academic art world doesn't do a good job of showing people the art world. I think showing people what you do at Turner Carroll and showing people, you know, that like, oh, no, you can definitely make a living. It's it's not I don't, I don't want to say it's not hard, but it's it's not it's not impossible. It's mm-hmm. not. A, yeah, it's a very common thing. And I think if somebody would have just told me that when I was younger, like, hey, you know, a lot of people do this. Like <laughs> it's, it's it's not, you know, it's it's not. No, nah, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm going to start making false promises. If I start telling people. Yeah, you're going to get like 10 years from now, you're going to get a bunch of really angry emails from people who say, Ben, you told me I could do it. I I'm homeless. Yeah. How Nobody dare you? This <laughs> I am uh... shouting in the void. I don't even yeah. actually publish them. They just... no. <laughs> My personal archive of conversations. It's your personal like lot of blackmail. You keep Yes. It. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of things that I wish somebody would have told me when yeah. I was. And, and I'm I'm sure, like, if just thinking about when you had me on three years ago, there's so many things that I thought I understood that mm. later on I was like, oh, this is completely different. Why? Uh, let's say almost like baptized into like the fine art world in a way that I wasn't before, and I think I I thought I understood it. But it was almost like I was looking at Oz and then like a couple of years later, someone pulled the curtain back and I was like, oh, that's what's really happening. Right. OK. Yeah. I didn't I didn't fully understand because I, I hadn't progressed in my career far enough, you know, and I'm sure that in five more years, I'm going to feel the same way about this Ben right now. You know, mm-hmm. this constant like improving and you meet more people and you see that certain galleries operate differently and, and the art world changes constantly. You know, so things are, I don't know, things are different. And yeah, it's definitely yeah. not boring. Yeah. No, 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 definitely not. Well, yeah. So, like, speaking of the future and the next few years, what do you have on the horizon coming up that's interesting? I've got a lot of random things going on. I'm board president of Print Austin now, which is a really fun printmaking organization festival, right? If you haven't heard of Print Austin, please check it out go to it. We do a lot of really great things. We have a big like print expo that everybody should get plugged into when we do demos. Print expo fun. is insanely fun. Like it's Yeah, I love it. No no hate to any other print gathering out there, but there's something about Print Austin that feels like it's been fine-tuned to just mm. the good stuff. I wow. think it's the best way to describe it. Yeah. I love that. Just just the just the seeing other people's work, the socializing, the listening mm-hmm. to music, the connecting with old friends, the seeing steamroller prints, like the mm-hmm. the performative aspects of it. It's print expo is really special in that way where you it's it's like just just the cream off the top of print gatherings. Yeah. Yeah. I when I first showed up to Print Austin, I was just blown away. I had never mm-hmm. seen this was back when it was at a Canopy, and I I walked in. I went with a friend. And he was like, oh, I'm doing Print Austin. Like, you can bring some prints and, like, sell them at my table. And I was like, okay. And I'd always kind of, like, heard of Print Austin, but I didn't know what it was. And I remember I walked in the room and I was like, what is happening in here? Like, this is – I had only ever seen, like, academic printmaking in a very rigid sense. So mm. when I showed up to that and I saw, like, the people and the music and the the work that was, like, stuff I'd never seen and just the environment, the vibe, I was like, I don't know what's happening here, but I have to be a part of this. Like, I have to – and I was – and I grew up skateboarding too. So there mm-hmm. was, like, this, like, subculture kind of, yeah. like, idea of, like, camaraderie that was there. Like, it was in the room. It was, like, being at a skate park. And it was just, like, the coolest group of people I'd ever seen. And I was like, this is really great. So I started doing it every year after that. And just every year I went, I would come back feeling so charged and just like intoxicated by like the vibe of Print Austin. And I was, I was just kind of came every year, just more and more intense. And then I realized like, oh, I really love this organization. Like I love this organization. 
and God forbid one day it doesn't exist, right? Because mm. that happens a lot and with festivals and stuff. They come and go. Yeah, um, people burn out. I mean, it's hard. Like yeah. organizers burn out. Yeah. Yes. So I, re- I remember thinking like if if one year there was an email that went out that said there's no more print Austin, I would hate myself for like not doing whatever I could have to help it keep going. So I reached out to Kathy and I was like, can I be on your board? Like, I want to be on your board. And she was like, yeah, yeah. And then I got on and I was on the uh, I was on the advisory board for a few years. And then an opening popped up for board president. And then I got voted in. And now I'm doing that. And I yeah. love I love Print Austin so much. So I've got we've got that's a long way to say that we've got that coming up. Print Austin, we got some open calls opening on the 1st of September. I've got a show coming up at Flatbed Press in Austin next year. I have a show this year in Lynchburg, Virginia at Riverviews Art Space. It's going to be the first weekend of September. So if you're around Virginia, come through. I've never been to Virginia, so I'm excited to do that. And then, like I said, next year I have that show in Austin. And then I have this show that I'm really excited about. It's going to be at Art Space 111 in Fort Worth and Love Texas Art in Fort Worth. And we're doing like a one exhibition, two galleries show. And we're mm. going to shuttle people back and forth. So it'll be like one show in two galleries. It's going to be really cool. Um, it'll be a really interesting experience with like a performative aspect and stuff. So I'll talk about that more in the future. If you follow me on Instagram, I'll post about it and everything. You can follow me on Instagram at, at the Ben Munoz. I'm also, you have something to say? I was going to say, what are the open calls that are coming up? Like, if oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. For print. There's, so we have two open calls. The first is the five by five, which I absolutely love. We select five artists and they get $500 each. They get a larger, so Print Austin has two shows, right? The first is called the Contemporary Print and it's a like group exhibition. The 5x5 is also a group exhibition, but it focuses on five people. So they get to show more pieces, more work. And it's a more focused sort of, uh, just like a more focused on the five people in their practice. And in addition to getting the show, the $500, you also get a lot of promotion from Print Austin. We try to mm-hmm. help push your career as much as possible. You get interviewed by Miranda or Jamal or whoever on a printmaking podcast. We post about you on our social media handles, our website. We really try to like push you as much as possible and just let people know about the really great work you're doing mm-hmm. in the 5x5. Five five. So the 5x5 five five is really great. The contemporary print is also really great. Our juror is Rashawn Rucker who I think you've had on here. Haven't you had Rashawn on here? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 yeah he's wonderful. Uh, I love Rashawn. So yeah, he's going to be our juror this year. I think he's going to make some really good work. The exhibition might be traveling, which you and I can talk about later. And oh, <laughs> also I'm a finalist for SGCI's Emerging Artist Award. So yeah, that's, that's something that's going on right now. And you can vote at sgcinternational.org. If you're a paid member, you can go and vote for awesome. me. Awesome. And what's, what's the award? Like, what do you receive? Yeah. Like, you get, you, I think you get like a recognition at the conference, right? I feel like I've seen yeah. that. And then, yeah. yeah. I, I think you nice. get like a certificate of some sort with your name on it. And yeah. Maybe like a little like stipend or something. But yeah, yeah, excellent. I believe there's a stipend and stuff like that. So, yeah, I would, I would greatly appreciate if you'd go out and vote for me. Cool. SGC International. I think it's org. SGC International, yeah, .org. Yeah, so. org yeah. Very cool. So you can go for Ben, and maybe I'll send you like a pin or something that said I voted for Ben with my face yeah. on it. <laughs> I bet Lars could 3D print something. Oh, I guarantee you. Yeah. You know what? Let's go ahead and plug that, that if you if, if you send me that, I think that's illegal. Is that illegal to say that? I have no idea. Are there through? any rules in this? Yeah. I doubt there are. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. Is that bribery? Yeah. I think that is. That's bribery, isn't it? My wife and yeah, I were I think- my wife and I were at this restaurant the other day and it said, if you leave us a five-star review and show us, we'll give you free ice cream. And I was like, I nice. think that's illegal. Like, I think, is that, is, is that yeah. illegal? <laughs> I don't know. It feels illegal. It feels like it should be. Yeah. Well, very cool. We're working together a lot, you and I. In fact, the other night I was dreaming and you were a side character in my dream. And I woke up and all I could think of was like, I've been working with Miranda too much. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> It's just just prattling on in the background of whatever it you're trying to do in your dream. <laughs> it was literally just you being like, I think it's that way. Like that was your whole role in the dream. Just like a side character. Like, oh, thanks, Miranda. But it's walking. a speaking role, which means that I will continue to get royalties. With yeah, probably. Syndication. Yeah. 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 <laughs> 
wonderful. But yeah, no, we have been working on a big project together. I think for, I think like technically since like April of this year. So it's been yeah. some time, but we, we have confirmation that it's moving forward. Would you like yeah. to do the honors of telling oh the Hello Print I, Friend listeners what's happening? Oh my gosh. <laughs> How do we want to phrase this? Because I would say in Ben's words that Print Austin is expanding to Santa Fe. And yeah. we're doing Santa Fe. Yeah, that's that's how I would say too. So okay. now say it with feeling. <laughs> so now say it like I know what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> Print Austin is expanding and we're moving to Santa Fe where you live. Yay. I am yes. super excited. I'm super we excited. Should, we should edit in applause, Tim, whenever we say that. Like, yeah. <sighs> that, that, that. yeah. Um, no, I'm I'm really excited about this. And so it's it's Print Austin isn't isn't going anywhere. It's just going to be a, no, a no. new little bud on the Print Austin tree that's yeah. growing here in Santa Fe. And so yeah. Print Austin is this, is, is this month-long event that spans between January and February in Austin. And Print Santa Fe is going to be in April. And it's going to be month-long printmaking. We already have partnerships with some incredible printmakers in this area. If you know about printmaking in this little neck of the woods, it's high concentration of extremely talented and passionate people live in this part of the world. So it's, I think that the best thing to do is maybe just to send people to printsantafe.org and they can start exploring. Absolutely. There's, there's going to be, like Ben said, the exhibitions that are happening that are in the open call they're going to be traveling to print santa fe in in some form or another we haven't done the exact details yet but we also are going to have that four-day print expo in a beautiful the contemporary art center here there's this beautiful large gallery space and it's it's gonna be great like we're gonna gather the print people from the four corners of our fair land and bring them here to Santa Fe, which is a beautiful city. April's a, a lovely time to be here. And please go to printsantafe.org and check it out because we're, we're really excited. We've been working on this for months and we finally got dates and venues confirmed. And we, we would love to see you here, wouldn't we, We're ben? so excited. Please come. Please yeah. come. We really, we're, we're working so hard on it and I think it's going to be really excellent. It's going to have a lot of great programming. If you've ever been to Print Austin, it's going to have the same vibe. We're kind of following the format. So there's going to be a lot of openings and artist talks and panel discussions. And then, of course, like Miranda said, the expo. Another thing is that if you've ever applied to Print Austin and you've done that and you're like, well, I like Print Austin, maybe I'll do Print Santa Fe. Something that we're going to do at Print Austin is offer a discount for your Print Santa Fe booth if you buy them together. So there's going to be a lot of things like that, too. So... I mean, if you're really interested and you're trying to figure out how to get the most out of everything, we'll have a lot of details on that coming soon and a kind of a package deal to where you don't have to pay like an insane amount of money for both things. Mm, um, mm-hmm. And then just get to just get to Santa Fe. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's always so chill. And uh, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing. Yeah. Honestly, yeah. It's, yeah. Go, go. I think it's going to be it's going to be really fun. I'm the key point organizer on it so if you like hello print friend and anything it's it's been and done it's gonna be kind of that same kind of feeling very much about community and celebration and bringing people together and i'm so i'm so pleased we're getting to do it so check it out everyone we're like check it out very very cool well, Ben, is there anything else that we need to talk about? I feel like that was our our big reveal. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to talk about? No, I don't think so. Uh, no. Nope, nope, no. Nope. <laughs> That's going to be your quote at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, you know, have, there's there's a yeah. quote before it leads that it's just going to be you being like, nope, 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 no. nope. <laughs> I don't think there's anything else. I'd like to publicly thank Tim, the unsung <laughs> hero of the podcast. Tim doesn't get enough love. Tim does amazing Tim, work. Yes. Tim is great. I love Tim. And I think it's so great how cool you are with my obsession with your husband. So I think that that's... <laughs> really nice. I mean, I, I find it flattering, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. I really just love his whole vibe. Like I, And I like the what you said about him being a Boy Scout. It really yeah. is like that kind of like sums it up. Yeah. It's just he's so nice. 
He's, He's so really, nice. really nice. And he just kind of rolls with it. Yeah. I held Tim's hand for like two blocks in Santa Fe. We we're walking and I just grabbed his hand and he just let it happen. And we just yep. held hands and he carried on the conversation like it was fully fine. And I was like, <laughs> He's a great guy. It's, it's, I, I don't remember where I was once. It may have even been like a conference. And someone asked me, hey, where's your husband? And I was like, probably just being quietly polite somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? That's like, I just, you know, I, it's, it's, it's great to be married to someone when you're like, I don't know where he is, but I'm sure he's being pleasant. You know? Yeah. Oh, wherever <laughs> he is, it's a better place because he's there. Yeah. 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 He's, uh, and he's, he's a lovely, he's a lovely man. I, I was, I met, so... <laughs> I think, yeah, I, I, I met someone like a friend of a friend last night and we were exchanging Instagrams and she looked at mine and she found a picture of Tim and she was like, is this your husband? His eyes are so kind. Oh, <laughs> yeah. that's the nicest thing. It was the nicest so thing. Kind. I was like, he is kind. Yeah. Nobody's ever looked at a photo of me and said his eyes are kind. <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Cool, cool. Well, we should, yeah, we should wrap it up. So, yeah, I think that's it. That's our big announcement. We're really excited. And we look forward to seeing all print friends from near and far in Santa Fe. Yes. And, Ben, I think you you mentioned your Instagram. Where else where people can find you, follow you, catch up with you, reach out? Instagram is the main thing, at the Ben Munoz. You can go to my website, which is BenjaminMunoz.com. But I think that's about it. You can send a pigeon. Or something like yeah, that. Yeah, send a pigeon. Send a pigeon. Or maybe find me in Santa Fe. Maybe yeah. Santa Fe. I think that'll be that'll be good. If you've got any scores to settle, then will be at Prince Santa Fe. <laughs> yeah, be, I'll be waiting. You'll be waiting. Me and last, Tim. The last weekend in April 2023. So, wonderful. Well, Ben, it's always a delight to chat with you. I'm really excited that we have a project we're working on together. And I think it's going to be something that we're going to be really proud of. All right, Ben. I know I will be talking to you soon. So Yes, absolutely. I hope you have a good day and we'll talk soon. Yes, talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. So you heard it here first, print friends. We are going to be hosting a month-long printmaking celebration in the beautiful city of Santa Fe with a three-day artist-centric print fair from April 28th to April 30th. Go to printsantafe.org for more details and there's a link in the show notes. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon where you can help us keep the lights on and get things like bonus content, like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards for you right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice, or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very best thing you can do to support this podcast is to listen and share with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week where my guest will be the incomparable Tony Fitzpatrick. I'm not even going to say more. Besides, you won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.